Thank you, Jim. It's good to see all you hearty souls here this morning. It's, uh, it's good that most of us were able to ignore the apocalyptic warnings from the local weather people. Did you know the world was going to end today if you got out on the roads? Well, it didn't. We're here. So, good to have everybody here. Um, before we get started, I'm going to show you a picture, because a couple pictures, because um, people give me grief all the time that I put their pictures on the screen up here when I preach, and I never put my own. Of course, that's not true. I actually have put my own up here in some rather embarrassing pictures, but uh, in this case, I thought you might want to see these pictures from last Sunday. That's Coach Al and Coach Bill, totally pied. Now, there's a, there's a really neat, very short story behind that. Um, we, call it, we called it uh, Operation Learn More Verses, and so we encouraged the kids to learn. I think our, we asked them to learn 60 more verses than they learned last semester, all told together, all the dozen kids or so that are in Bible Bowl. And they learned 110 more verses this semester than last semester. So they had to earn their way to do that, and they, so they really enjoyed it. That's Evangeline. You think she's having fun? All right. Okay, so that had nothing to do with the sermon. But now we'll start the sermon. You know, a lot can change in four and a half years. Think about that. Think about all the things that have changed in four and a half years. Jim Grinnell looked like this back in November 2010. Amber <laughs> Vergard looked like this. And Elijah Travers looked like this. The Lawrence twins looked like this. We especially see the changes in the kids, don't we? When you see the kids, you see they, they, they change faster than us older folks. Four and a half years ago, the Thorpe family attended another church. Today, they're a vital part of our fellowship. Four and a half years ago, Tammy Franklin was a zombie, dead in her sins. Today, she's our sister in Christ and also part of this church. Here's our new members class from just a year and a half ago. This was in November 2013. Ben and Judah and Joe and the Failers and Jim Smith and the Thorpes and Tamra. None of these precious brothers and sisters in Christ were part of TCF in November 2010. Today, they're part of us. They're part of this fellowship, and it's wonderful to have all of them with us. That was the month we introduced what we called the Help Wanted Prayer Challenge. And since then, we have seen answers to the ongoing prayers that we've prayed, that God would bring new laborers into TCF, and so we can fulfill the mission that we have as a church. The last three weeks, we've been reminded continually by each of our speakers just how big this mission is. Jim Garrett rehearsed the history of TCF missions three weeks ago and reminded us of the reasons we go into the Lord's harvest. John Hines and Mitch Dunnick, in sharing stories about God's work around the world the last two Sundays and the many ways that God is equipping his people to fulfill the Great Commission, they reminded us of the work that still must be done. And they also helped illustrate the truth, the great truth that we see in our theme scripture passage of this year's missions conference, which was Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So we've been reminded what a privilege it is to serve God and be his partners in advancing his kingdom here and around the world. But if you remember near the end of 
his message just last week from Dr. Mitch Dunnick. He quoted another passage of Scripture that we want to emphasize and focus on this morning again. You may not have caught this. I did because I was preparing to preach this message. But this is the passage that was the focus of the Help Wanted Prayer Challenge, and Mitch actually quoted that last week. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So again, this passage was the foundation of what we've tried to do these past four years. We began the Help Wanted Prayer Challenge after introducing it in that sermon in November 2010. And many of us since then have been consistent and very earnest, as this passage of Scripture said, in praying that God would, even as Jesus instructed here, send out laborers into his harvest. Now, as a result of and in response to these prayers, we've seen things happen, haven't we? We've seen the monthly prayer advance developed. We've seen other prayer initiatives develop and continue to this day. Uh, An ancillary thing, we saw the building council developed, and that was developed directly in response to the Help Wanted Prayer Challenge, hoping to make improvements to this old building of ours in anticipation of bringing more laborers in to come alongside us and work with us. We've also seen, as we've noted, new people come to us, and we anticipate having another new members class pretty soon because there are people here who've been coming regularly who haven't had a chance to go through a new members class yet and formally join us. And we've also had people return, people who went away for a little while. For example, Tom and Nicole came back to us from their adventures in Oregon. So God has heard our prayers, folks. God has heard our prayers, and he has responded, and we're grateful for that. But we've also noticed some other things. Did you ever notice that inevitably things and inevitably people slow down? Anybody ever notice that? Things and people generally lose momentum. Without your foot, for example, on the gas pedal, your car will slow down eventually and it will stop. Without a push of some sort, we will also slow down in our efforts. That's why we see constant reminders in Scripture about things we need to do in our life of faith. Gordon said before, our brains leak. You know, our brains leak. We forget things. And it's not just that they leak and we forget things. We just kind of wear down and things get kind of routine and they become normal. And all of a sudden, we're not doing some of those things that we need to do in our life of faith. Now, I've noticed this particularly in my work with three nonprofit boards that I've been on through the years. I've been on the boards of the American Lung Association. I've been on the board of uh, Mend Pregnancy Center. And, of course, I've served as an elder at TCF for 19 years this November. In each one of these leadership roles, I've noticed something consistent. It's not all that hard to get people charged up and excited about something. You can do that, and it's not difficult. It's not all that hard, but it is hard to maintain momentum over time. It's hard to keep people going. When we'd have an event for men, people's hearts would be touched by the awful tragedy of abortion, of unborn lives snuffed out. Their hearts would be broken, for example, when they saw an ultrasound like this one of an unborn child. 
knowing that the mother could just as easily go to an abortion clinic the very next day and stop a beating heart. That's one of the things that MEND always does in their banquet. They have a live ultrasound, and it touches people's hearts, and it gets them charged up. They want to do something about it. They want to get involved. But inevitably, that passion fades. Life intervenes. Life gets in the way, you know? And in many cases, the prompting to be involved, to do something, tends to die out or at least wane significantly. This is the natural order of things, folks. It's not necessarily good or bad. It's just reality. We're all subject to this in one way or another. Things and people lose momentum. For example, when your child is on a swing and begins to slow down, what do they say to you? Push me higher, Daddy. I want to go, right? Push me higher. I want to keep going. Well, today, I want to push us higher. Today, I don't want to slow us us down. I I, I want to make sure we don't slow down. I want to push us higher. I want us to keep going. In our missions conference, we were reminded that the task is not finished. And because the task is not finished, we need to keep going. And because we need to keep going, we still need help, folks. We still need help in this little church of ours. Hudson Taylor was a pioneering missionary to China. And when he did his first term in China and he saw the huge needs, he was overwhelmed with the billions of people who had never heard the gospel. We can get overwhelmed with the enormity of the task too, can't we? We look around, we look around in this neighborhood, we see all the deep needs. We look at all of our missionaries and we see the hard places they're in and we know how difficult things are for them. Well, this happened to Hudson Taylor too, but he had a strong desire to develop more Chinese missionaries. It was a huge task and one thing he knew pretty quickly is he couldn't do it by himself. He needed help. And he was at home for a furlough and he studied the word of God and he prayed and he wrote this about that time. He wrote, in the study of the divine word, I learned that to obtain successful workers, what was needed were not elaborate appeals for help, but first, earnest prayer to God, to thrust forth laborers, and second, the deepening of the spiritual life of the church, so that men should be unable to stay home. That's a great quote. Isn't that a great picture of what we've been trying to do, what the help wanted prayer challenge that we called it? has been all about earnest prayer to God to thrust forth laborers and a corresponding deepening of the spiritual life of this church. We need that too. The result is of that. Now, wow, think of this. The result of that kind of thing, the result of that prayer is that people are unable to stay home. Why? They're unable to stay home. They're compelled by God. They're compelled by God to join the task, to go into the harvest, whatever part of that harvest that God has called us to. When we first looked at the needs that we have as a fellowship in November 2010, we noted that if you do, in fact, have a need for more help, you owned a business, for example, one thing you would not do is just sit back and say, oh, well, we don't have enough people to do the work, so let's just hope we don't get any more business, because if we do, we're going to be in trouble. That's not an option, folks. That's not an option. That's not an option in business, and it's certainly not an option in the business, quote-unquote, that we are in. There's plenty of business. If by business you mean people who are lost and without hope and without God in this world. 
We remembered that when Jesus walked the earth, he had plenty to do, and he did the work that God gave him to do. But he too saw a need, and he gave to his disciples and to us the means to finding the solution to this need. It's so simple that we resist it. Pray? Come on. Pray? Just pray? You know, it reveals something about what we really think about prayer when we say something like that. Prayer very often seems to be the last resort. Some of you may remember a message here a while back where we looked at the phrase that we often say, well, all we can do is pray. Well, prayer is often the last thing we do because we have the need to do something that we see as more practical. Okay? So prayer is not practical. So let's do something practical. Well, yeah, we should pray too. But prayer is not practical. We seem to want and need a multi-point plan. We seem to want to create programs and events. And, you know, some of those things may actually be perfectly appropriate. But none of them, none of them will amount to anything unless we first do consistently and persistently what Jesus instructed us to do in this passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 9. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As Hudson Taylor clearly saw in China, and as we can see here when we just look around and see what God is doing here in this church, through our little church, there's plenty of work to be done. In this context, it means there are plenty of souls to be saved, and there are plenty of needs to be ministered to. And this passage tells us that anyone who's working in some capacity in the harvest will not get bored because he or she doesn't have enough to do. Then we see that though there is plenty of harvesting work to be done, there are not enough people to do the work. We also see who the boss is, not just the boss, but the owner. Verse 38 says it like this. It's his harvest field. It's the Lord's harvest. It doesn't belong to anyone but him. It doesn't belong to the TCF elders, the church leadership. It doesn't belong to us as a congregation. We also see the solution gave for this dilemma. The dilemma is that the crops, aren't, are, the crops are ready, and there are a lot of them ready to be harvested, and the crop is sitting there waiting to be picked. But with the number of workers currently doing the work of the harvest, it can't be done adequately, so we need more workers. If we're to use our business analogy just a little bit further here, it's as if Jesus was saying to us, ask the boss to send more workers into his harvest so we can all get the job done. Please get the boss to put out a help-wanted sign. But it's also clear from this passage of Scripture that it's stronger than the boss simply putting out a help-wanted sign and saying, please come. The word translated send out can mean thrust out. That's what Hudson Taylor said. It can mean thrust out or drive out. There's some real strength or force behind this. And that's one reason why it's the Lord of the harvest who sends workers, not us. Because he's the boss and we're not. So then we ask, we beseech or pray earnestly, as some translations say, that the Lord of the harvest would send out more workers to get the job done. Now we don't desire for TCF to grow just for the sake of becoming a bigger church just so we can have a nicer building, maybe in a different part of town even, just so we can get bigger salaries for the staff. 
That's not what we're about, folks. In this way, numbers really aren't important. They're really not important. What's important is obedience. What's important is obedience to God's call and God's direction to us as a church. And that obedience has at times, those of you who know the history of TCF have been here for a while, that obedience has at times actually cost us numbers. When various winds of doctrine have swept through the church in Tulsa and around the nation, the leadership of this church has made the decision that we cannot embrace those movements. And this has cost us. This has actually cost us in terms of membership, numbers of people. When our vision for world missions has competed with other agendas, people left TCF then too. What's more, we've seen how church growth works in many churches. Not all of them, but it works in many churches this way. Tulsa's a prime example of this tendency. People go to the latest and greatest thing in town. And when the new latest and greatest thing happens, what do they do? They move on somewhere else. Actually, TCF was that church once. Some of you may remember the founding of TCF. You know what? You can hardly go into any public place in Tulsa without finding a person who once attended TCF. But you know, we'll probably never be a church that's comfortable with putting ads on the radio or ads on a billboard that say something like, well, if you're bored or dissatisfied with your church because of, and then name a myriad of reasons, come to our church because we're better. We're not going to do that, folks. So you're also not going to see anything like what you see on these signs. First one says, you know your church doesn't love you. Come to TCF. We do love you. Or how about the other one? Your church stinks. Ours doesn't. Come to TCF. You're not going to see signs like that, folks. However, there's a practical reality at work here. If God has, in fact, called us as a church to release laborers into the harvest, it's right there on your bulletin each week. Whether that harvest field is Good News Club, whether it's VBS, whether it's POPs, whether it's the overseas mission field, or some other church ministry, or even if it's your own individual circle of influence with friends, with neighbors, family, friends, co-workers, the question remains, how can we disciple, train, and release people who aren't part of us? We can't. In that sense, we do care about numbers because the work of the harvest that God has given us as a church takes people. It takes a critical mass. It takes a certain number of people who are committed to going into the harvest and being part of what we're doing as a church as well as their own personal commitment to the Lord in whatever sphere of influence that they're in. So that's one thing that hasn't changed since 2010. There continues to be a clear recognition that with all the good things that we have going on and all the ways we've seen God answer these prayers we've been praying, we still need more help. However, we do have a sense as I just noted, that that's in the process of changing. There's really a sense among the elders that with consistent reminders of what we're doing and why we're doing it, we can continue to build momentum rather than slowing down. Brothers and sisters, God is hearing our prayers. So as we pray, as we seek God, let's be open to what he would ask us to do in response. But let's also continue to remember that Jesus said to pray. So let's pray. Let's pray persistently. Let's pray consistently. Let's remember that the reason Jesus told his disciples the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18 was what? 
He told them to always pray and not give up. Always pray and don't give up. Here at TCF, we believe in persistence. We believe in perseverance in prayer. I don't know how many times in the 35 years I've been at TCF, I've heard at least a mention of that, if not a full sermon, about that very idea. This is something I learned here. This is something we need to learn here. This is something we need to be reminded of together because our brains leak and we lose momentum, right? Not just in prayer. We believe in persistence and perseverance. Not just in prayer. There's other things, of course, too. But perhaps most importantly in prayer. We don't pray just once. We don't pray just twice. We don't pray for a whole month or even a year and then quit. We persevere, folks. We persevere. We keep on keeping on. During a Monday night football game between the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants, one of the announcers noted that Walter Payton, the Bears running back, had accumulated over nine miles in career rushing yardage. And the other announcer said, yeah, that's with somebody knocking him down every 4.6 yards. So Walter Payton, one of the best running backs ever, knew that everyone, even the best, gets knocked down. The key to success is to get up and run again just as hard. The key is to keep at it, folks. The key is to keep at it. This is the kind of attitude that we want to foster in this church. This is the kind of attitude that we want to develop. Perseverance, to persist in or remain constant to a purpose, idea, or task in spite of obstacles. To continue doing something in spite of difficulty or opposition. The word is from the Latin, very serious. Isn't that interesting? That begs the question too, doesn't it? Are we very serious about our desire to ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest? Are we very serious about the desire to see new laborers come to us and work side by side with all of us here at TCF? Louis Pasteur was the world-renowned French chemist and biologist, and he founded the science of microbiology, and he proved the germ theory of disease. He also invented the process of pasteurization, which we all drink daily with our milk, and developed vaccines for several diseases, including rabies. One of the things that he said was this. He said, let me tell you the secret that has led me to my goal. My strength lies solely in my tenacity. Tenacity. Don't you love that word? I like that word. I like that word, tenacity. Walter Payton was one of the best ever. And he needed tenacity. He needed an attitude of perseverance to attain his professional goals. Now, Louis Pasteur was undoubtedly a brilliant man. But he didn't attribute his success to his brilliance. He attributed it to his tenacity, his stick to As we discuss God's heart for this church, as we discuss his vision for us, which should become our goals individually and corporately, We, too, need an attitude of perseverance, a persistent spirit in the things of God, the kind of attitude that keeps at it, a tenacious attitude, which keeps getting up, which keeps at it, even after maybe getting knocked down by the world or knocked down by the enemy or having just normal life kind of get in the way of the things that we want to do. Perseverance and persistence implies difficulty, doesn't it? It implies difficulty. And the fact is that prayer isn't easy for most of us. There may be a few of us in here that prayer comes easy to, but for most of us it just isn't. 
That's evidenced by the challenge of filling each of the 12 slots on the monthly prayer advance sign-up sheet. That's evidenced by the attendance at our monthly corporate prayer meeting, 20 people or less, most uh, second Wednesdays of the month. Uh, Although I have to say I was delighted when I saw 60 people show up for our Wednesday missions conference prayer meeting. Now, I got to tell you, prayer's hard for me too, folks. The prayer meetings that I come to here, and I come to them, but they're the, my least favorite. I'm just being real honest with you here. They're hard for me. I'd rather prepare to preach. I'd rather study. I'd rather read. I'd rather discuss Scripture than pray. But our prayers are so, so foundational for everything else we do. They're the foundation for everything else we do. So perseverance definitely implies effort. Sometimes it implies difficulty, something we must work at and keep working at. And the scriptures recognize this. The scriptures speak consistently to both these issues in many, relation, uh, in many places in relation to prayer. For example, we read in Acts 1.18, they all join together constantly in prayer. Romans 12.12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So we see that patience and faithfulness and perseverance, these things go together, folks. We read in Ephesians 6:18 and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Colossians 4:2 devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5:17 pray continually. And Isaiah 62:6 you who call on the Lord give yourselves no rest. That's a hard one. We as elders can't make any of this stuff happen, folks. We're not going to call you at home to see if you're on board with this renewed challenge. We're not going to keep track of whether or not you fulfill this as individuals. God has to do this. God has to do this in your heart, has to impress this on your heart. He has to grow the church. We cannot grow the church. But we do want to cooperate with what His Holy Spirit is doing to provide laborers for that part of his harvest that God wants this church involved in. I don't want this sermon this morning to be one that just makes people feel all guilty because guilt doesn't accomplish much. I don't want anybody to uh, feel guilty because you're not serving or serving enough or you're not praying enough. Another thing I think of is helping us as individuals to find the connection between what we do and how we pray and the harvest. Now, there's always somewhat invisible, somewhat thankless jobs in harvest work. As a matter of fact, most of them are. Not everyone gets to reap, folks. Not everyone gets to be there at the moment when somebody commits their life to Christ and trusts Christ for their salvation. Now, it's easy for us to see the connection and when we're laboring in the harvest and when we do have the privilege of leading someone to Christ, but it's a little more difficult when you clean toilets or you do the bookkeeping, or when you work in the tape room, or you greet visitors, or you change dirty diapers in the nursery, or you just pray. It's a little more difficult to see that connection. But you know what, folks? It's all harvest work. It all fits into the big picture. It all fits into the scheme of things. It's all vital. It's not just important. It's all vital to the work of the harvest. May God help us see that connection. My prayer is, Lord, help us to serve you and help us to see that as we serve you, we are serving as harvest workers, even if we never personally witness a person who comes to Christ, a soul being saved.
That's a good connection for us to make, and, remi- and that's why it's worth reminding ourselves that whatever we do is part of harvest work. But the truth is we do want to see souls saved, don't we, folks? Isn't that what we're about? That's what the harvest is all about. It's a harvest of souls, people converted from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We read in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So here we see Paul quoting the passage of Scripture that was our theme verse in our missions conference this year. Folks, let's be a people of beautiful feet. I'm not asking anybody to take their shoes off this morning. But let's be a people of beautiful feet. And let's play our individual parts in bringing the good news of the gospel. I think God does want to continue to bring growth to CCF. And I think he wants to bring growth in these three ways. I think first, through evangelism. I mean, people coming to Christ, people getting saved, whether it be through a church program or through our individual relationships with people. I'm thinking new believers who are coming into the kingdom of God and coming to TCF to be discipled, to grow, and then to serve in the harvest themselves. I'm thinking, secondly, God wants to bring those who are unchurched. They may be unchurched for a variety of reasons, and they're because of that, because they're unchurched, they're out there flapping in the breeze, folks. You need to be in church. We all need to be in church. And so they are those that Jesus talked about. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They can come here and be sheep with a shepherd. And then finally, I think God wants to grow this church through those who particularly resonate and identify with our vision here at TCF, the training and releasing of laborers into the harvest, and specifically our calling as a church dedicated to world missions. Now, these people just need to find us. And when there's a thousand some odd churches in Tulsa, it's not that easy sometimes. So how are we going to do that? Oh, let's start a marketing program. Let's, uh, let's pray, folks. Let's pray that they'll find us. I mean, we've seen that happen, haven't we? We've seen people just find us sovereignly, okay? God can do this, folks. Jesus gave us the foundational instructions of how to get there, how to see this kind of growth happen, how to see more laborers come into the harvest. We're to ask the Lord of the harvest to bring workers. Now, of course, that doesn't preclude any further actions at all. Those of you who are faithful prayers know that often as a response to our ongoing prayers about someone or something, God will give us very specific action follow-up to do. And we've seen that during these past few years. I mentioned it a moment ago, but we need to remember where we start. Or better yet, in this case, how we are to continue in this, we pray. In praying, we're acknowledging that this is God's harvest. We're acknowledging that we are absolutely and we are completely dependent on Him. We're recognizing that anything that comes from our own designs, our own intellect, our own plans is worthless toward achieving the goal of more workers for the harvest. But ideas, strategies, follow-up action that flows from the fact that we've been praying consistently and intentionally about this will be more clearly from God's design. They'll be more clearly the very mind of Christ. 
Yet it's critical to note that the only thing Jesus said specifically to do here, the only thing he said to do was to pray. So I do believe more follow-up action will come, but I think it will be in response to the result of the only thing that Jesus said to do, and he said, pray. He said, pray earnestly. So with that in mind, I want to close with a new push on that swing. Okay, visualize that kid on the swing. I want to have a new challenge to all of us here this morning. It's a new challenge, but it's a renewed challenge. And the challenger isn't just me. It's a challenge from all the elders to all of us together here this morning. We want to challenge you to pray. We want to challenge you to not lose momentum. We want to continue to pray intentionally, specifically, and regularly this prayer that Jesus told us to pray. We want to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. And specifically, since we at TCF are part of his harvest, that God would send those he desires to join us, to walk side by side with us in the harvest, to work with us. So let's seek God together. And let's trust him to bring the workers we need to do the things we believe God has given us to do as a church. I thought about having people stand to commit to this or raise your hands or something, but that's not going to work. I think if I just did that, everybody's going to stand, right? Who wants to be out there seen as the one, well, I'm not going to pray, I'm going to sit here, okay? So instead, as I close, I'm going to ask all of us to stand. Let's go ahead and stand. And as I pray, I want you to ask God with me to push you higher on the swing, folks, to push you higher on the swing, to help you keep momentum and not let this go, renew your momentum, to build up your commitment to pray. And make that commitment to him. You're not making it to me. You're not making it to the elders. You're not making it to those people around you. And on behalf of the elders, I want to invite you to join us as we pray for the Lord of the harvest to send us laborers so we have the workers we need to do the work of the harvest that God has, in fact, given us. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your call on this church. We're grateful that you've actually given us a task bigger than we can possibly accomplish without your spirit working, Lord God. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you've heard our prayers since November 2010, and we began this Help Wanted Prayer Challenge, Lord, asking you to send laborers into your harvest, recognizing that we are, in fact, cooperating with you and putting out a Help Wanted sign and saying, we need help, Lord. We can't do it. We can't do anything. We can't do it on our own, Lord God. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would renew that sense of commitment in each of us. Lord, help this to not become routine. Help this to not become just another thing. But help this, Heavenly Father, to be something that we can be very intentional about. Lord, by your spirit, by your grace, equip us and enable us to pray regularly that you, in fact, would send laborers to us to work alongside us, to be part of the vision you've given this church. Lord, we pray that you would send us people who need to know you. And Lord, we would have the privilege in our own circles of influence to lead them to Christ. And Lord, to then have them join us at TCF or even as part of the different church programs we have, Father God that we would have the joy and privilege of seeing people come to Christ, of seeing people trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that those who are out there who are unchurched would in fact uh, find us, Father. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, Lord. We pray that they would come here and, 
and uh, knit together with us as a body, Father, and find love and find grace and, f- and be embraced by you and embraced by us, Father God. And in doing that, Father, that they would grow in you and they would participate in the harvest. And we thank you, Father, for those who are out there in various places and various roles who really have a heartbeat for missions, Lord. And because of that, Lord, they're looking for a place where that can be nurtured, where that can grow, and where that can uh, continue, Father God, to be something you plant in their hearts. And Lord, we pray that that place would be TCF for many of these people, that you'd bring these people to us. You'd help them to sovereignly find us through searches on the internet, through relationships with some of us, through relationships with people who know about TCF, Lord. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd bring laborers to walk side by side with us. Thank you for the new ones that you brought over these last few years, Lord. Thank you that you've brought them to us. Thank you, Father, that they are even now continually being knit together with this body. But, Lord, we recognize that help is still wanted. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.